You're listening to episode 35 of the Broken Glass Podcast, how one woman's full-time job helps her music career with Lexi Todd. You're listening to the Broken Glass Podcast, a podcast with a mission to highlight women in the music industry through their stories, from their successes to their trials and tribulations. We'll share tools and resources available to you to make your music dream job come to life or to start that business you've always wanted to own. But most of all, you'll be a part of the Broken Glass community where we support and encourage each other and open the doors to working in music. I'm your host, Christy Jacobson, entrepreneur, music lover, wonderluster, and dreamer. Welcome to the show. Hello, I hope you are all doing well and you're healthy during this crazy, crazy time that we're going through. Um, This whole pandemic has been hard on everyone, I think, Um, but I've been really amazed to watch how musicians and other professionals have adapted to continue to bring music to their audiences, keep their businesses going. And you'll hear in the next several episodes coming up on the podcast just how musicians are utilizing the technology at their hands, how they're coping with either a loss of work or loss of inspiration, or in some cases, how they've pivoted their music career. And while these ladies have certainly been able to pivot and transition their business uh, and careers online, I know there are still a lot of you out there wondering just how the heck to do that what to use to build a website, to manage an email list, to build an engaged audience, and the like. So I've created a quick download with my top five systems for transitioning your business online. You can download this at brokenglassmediallc.com slash top dash five dash systems. And be sure to keep an eye on the Broken Glass blog and at Broken Glass Media on Instagram for more tips and tricks for bringing your business online, uh, more ideas on how you can monetize. Um, I'm working on a whole bunch of different things. So keep an eye out uh, both of those places and be sure to download your list at brokenglassmediallc.com slash top dash five dash systems uh, and uh, utilize these to bring your business online. And now here is our guest this week, Lexi Dodd. Welcome back to the Broken Glass Podcast. Today, I have Brooklyn-based singer-songwriter by night and attorney by day, Lexi Todd. Uh, Lexi, welcome to the podcast. Hi. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I am so excited to talk to you today because you have a very cool story and kind of go in with a lot of what we've been talking about on the podcast where you know, we have artists who really focus on their artist career, but they also work full time. So I'm really excited to kind of get into all that with you. But first, like, just tell me a little bit about yourself, what you're doing now. We'll kind of go back. How do you got into music? And we'll go from there. Yeah, so I'm a, as you said, Brooklyn based artist, singer, songwriter, and, you know, front person. I also write all of my own songs, write a little with other people for other artist projects, and I'm working towards being self-produced. I do a lot of the production myself now as is. So by day, I am not doing that for the most part. Um, During the day, I sit in an office, and I am actually a music attorney. So I work in-house, meaning a company has their own attorneys. I don't work at a law firm, and I work in music publishing. So that's really cool because being in-house affords me the flexibility I need to do all of the crazy stuff that being a musician requires, like leaving early for gigs or taking meetings in the middle of the day. And, you know, it also gives me insight into the industry. So yeah, right now I'm just juggling many hats and constantly switching between left brain, right brain, but it's been, it's been easier as time goes on. Yeah, it does sound like you're, you know, juggling a lot, but, um, you know, I'm always interested to kind of, you know, hear about how people manage that. So we'll kind of get into that a little bit, but how did you get in, involved in music? How did you get interested in, in being a music attorney? Um, Cause that's, that's a lot of, you know, it's, it's, it's very, I guess, <laughs> similar, but different, right? Like you said, left brain, right brain, yeah. you know, you've got your creative aspect of it and you've also have to be, you know, I went to paralegal, I got a paralegal certificate, so I kind of understand how, you know, strict the, you know, uh, law side of it is. So how did you get involved in in both of those? So it was completely accidental. 
and completely organic. People, people are often like, wow, that was so smart of you. Now you're a music attorney. You have such a good fallback plan. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, totally thought about that ahead of time and did it on purpose. But uh, so the long story short is I was born singing. I started singing when I was, you know, able to talk, convince my parents to give me voice lessons when I was four. And shockingly, they were okay with everything because I don't come from a musical family. Um, everyone in my family is uh, really blue collar, fishermen, etc. I'm from the beach in New Jersey. And so it was kind of a shock when all I wanted to do was music. And that was all I really ever wanted to do until it came time to think about school. Um, meaning college. I had always been in everything musical. I played the clarinet, bass clarinet, traveling band, traveling choir, acapella group, theater, and then joined my first band right after high school and never really thought about doing anything other than music until all of my friends were going to school for what I thought were more serious things. And no one in my family went to college before. I was a first-generation student, so I felt this immense pressure to do something, you know, more serious that led to a career because music was not a career despite all the encouragement I got from a young age I just didn't feel that from you know my guidance counselors and my teachers so at the last minute I canceled all of my applications for music to colleges and decided to go to school for something useful which in my mind was uh, philosophy and political science <laughs> So you can see where that sort of led me to law school. I was in a band all through college and also at the same time was getting more involved in kind of political activism and public speaking. I joined the debate team. I became a nationally ranked debater, captain of the debate team, was going to debate camps, but then also was like rocking out with my band. And before I knew it, I already had that kind of duality of intellectual life and performance life, which to me, they related. When I was debating, I felt like I was using a lot of the same skills that I was as a front person. And they were helpful in honing, you know, my craft as a public speaker, as a performer, etc. And um, yeah, that all sort of just made sense to me until, it, of course, it came time to graduate. And then I had to make another decision. And at that point, the band that I was in, it kind of became clear that that was not going to be the serious thing that was going to break me, which up until that point, I thought that's what it was going to be. And at that point, I was like, okay, I either going to take this basically useless degree and move to the city and try to be a musician, or I could go to graduate school and still move to the city and try to be a musician. So I got a full scholarship to law school in Brooklyn. I took it, I moved to Brooklyn and Despite everyone telling me there was no way I was going to be able to do law school and pursue music, I did for those three years. I met a lot of musicians in the New York City scene and joined another group, uh, which was an all-female collaborative hive mind, basically uh, artist collective, writing collective, record label. We really helped each other form our own separate artist projects, but also were collaborative in writing together and doing all of the work together. I did all of the business and legal work, obviously. And then still didn't expect to practice law after law school. Thought I was going to pursue music again full time. And that was finally my chance. And then I realized that those three years getting a law degree were probably wasted if I didn't have any actual experience. Because what good is a backup plan when you can't get hired? <laughs> so right, yeah. again, a sort of last minute realization. Every time, I, every time I came to graduate some level of education, I had to make a decision. And at that point, I started looking for part-time legal jobs in-house in the music industry, which everyone was laughing at me about because, first of all, you, you don't get a job straight into the music industry out of law school, generally. You have to go do something else first and then gain some experience and then meet the right people and be the right place, right time. Um, and then second, you definitely don't get a job that's in-house. And third, there are no part-time legal jobs, is what everyone was telling me. <laughs> right. But... Despite that, I landed a part-time legal job in-house at a music company right out of law school. It was three days a week to begin with, and then that slowly turned into four days a week, five days a week, and now, you know, a full-time day job. Um, so all accidental, pretty much, but it occurred to me 
finally, when I was old enough to realize the value of all that education, that the music industry is something I never considered and probably should have. Because now I say all the time, if it wasn't for me having this dream of pursuing my own music, I have the dream job. You know, I have this really cool job at a music publishing company and getting to do a lot of high level deals on my own, which for a young woman in the music industry just doesn't really happen. So I'm, I'm grateful for it all, but it would, you know, it wasn't exactly intentional and it's still difficult balancing both. Right. But that's kind of cool that, you know, I don't know, you know, if you, I'm kind of a believer in universal, you know, energy and then kind of like the law of attraction, if it's something you put your mind to, you know, and you really work towards it. And it just sounds like it was, I don't know if fortuitous is the right word, but just, you know, it's what you wanted. You wanted to, you've had this music career kind of going all throughout your entire life. And to be able to kind of combine that with your, you know, full-time job, that's uh, pretty awesome. And not a lot of people, especially in our industry, really get to do that. It's a lot of people who, you know, they go work at job in a different industry and then they you know they work on music by night so yeah that's pretty incredible that you were given say, that opportunity like the, yeah the reason I feel like the reason why a lot of people give up on their music careers after working full-time is there's a lot of pressure to do so you know I still feel that every day especially as a woman I think we're always pressured to sort of choose one thing you know like have the family or work full time or, you know, we're constantly pushing those boundaries, but I definitely feel every day like, Oh, when are you going to drop the artist career? When are you going to choose? And the answer is I'm not, I don't have to, who says I can't do both things forever. Yeah. It's it's, it's like a novel, crazy concept to other people, but here I am doing it. I've been doing it. I've defied all of these people telling me you're never going to be able to do law school and pursue music. You're not going to be able to do, have a career in entertainment law and pursue music and it's just not true but it is a lot of work and like you said you have to you have to put in all the effort make sure you're aligned with everything and just trust that the universe is gonna return it back to you and I think if you do that you can do three things at once four things at once but you just have to continue you always have to focus and continue putting all that energy out there because once you sort of give up on yourself and given to that pressure, then of course, naturally, it's just, it's just easy to give up. Yeah. And I think, you know, our industry, especially, you know, a lot of people, we talk about the side hustle, you know, a lot of people do gigs and they do other things. And I think in a lot of other industries, it's just not really seen, like people just don't do that. Um, You know, you kind of brought up what I was actually going to ask you, you know, the, the choosing one thing in life that defines us. Um, how do you kind of navigate that? You know, you, you, you did mention that, you know, you can, you know, being a, an in-house allows you the opportunity to, you know, kind of leave early and, and go do gigs and all that. How do you kind of manage like that, that balance, balance that, that nine to five and then artists and then production and everything that you do? Cause you actually, you do do a lot, especially with your artist career. Yeah, it's, so the, the limitation of time is, obviously a big factor and that's just kind of trial and error. I've tried a bunch of different things. I've burned out. I had actually my biggest burnout recently. I would say the end of 2019, I really hit a wall. I was coming off a, a single release that I put a lot of effort into and into, and I feel like it was successful, but I just wasn't thinking about sustaining. I was just thinking about doing all of the things I have to do as an indie artist. And then while working full time, I just, I just ran out of energy. So the time thing is tough. I've learned, for example, over the past few months that waking up early and getting all of my music business emails out, you know, like emailing promoters and press and all of that in the morning and knocking it out is the best thing for me. Then I go to work and then after work, I have to run or read or something before I can transition into, okay, let's write a song or let's produce something. And it's taken a while to figure out that balance but it's pretty much just being productive as much of the time as possible because all of the time is not possible and forgiving myself for slacking off one night and by slacking off I mean doing normal people things going grocery (laughs) shopping uh watching a television show like those things I I you know even just calling it slacking off now shows that that's how my brain automatically thinks about it I 
view those things as bad because I feel like I have to be productive all the time. So I'm trying to fight that. You can hear the internal conflict. I'm trying to fight that yeah. now. <laughs> that yeah, it's, it's, a constant, it's a constant work in progress. But yeah. I think I, also the like mental aspect of it is, is huge. Even just beyond the time balance, trying to not feel like an imposter on both sides and emotionally, you know, brace for that in all these different social circumstances, that's almost sometimes harder. You know, I constantly feel like I'm being taken less seriously as an attorney because I'm a musician and less seriously as a musician because I'm an attorney. People think I'm a hobbyist or people think, oh, she must not be a very good attorney. And dealing with that is sometimes a lot harder than finding the time of the day. Right. It's almost, you just have to, you know, do you, right? Like kind of block yeah. out what other people are thinking. Um, do you do kind of everything yourself then, or is there anything that you've outsourced to kind of take certain things off your plate? Since I've been working full time, I've financially been able to outsource things more. And I fully encourage anyone who has the financial resources to do so because it is huge. I mean, I just don't have the time to write a thousand pitch emails in the hopes that, you know, a couple people will answer, which is, you know, that's, that's how the statistics work when you're an indie artist. So I have recently started outsourcing things like that. You know, I'm not good at, with press. I don't have the relationships. So I always pay for someone to do press for each release that I do. Um, same with playlist pitching. I just don't have the time to reach out to all of these playlists. So I pay someone to do that. I have a great creative team I work with that does all of my, you know, visual art that supports each release. And then I, I figure out the things that I'm good at and that I have the time to do myself, like the production. I actually really enjoy having control of the other elements in my song. And I definitely don't like when other people touch my vocals. So I, I want to do all that myself. I feel like I have the time to do that. I'm productive when I do that. So I'll, I'll do that. Um, and since I've outsourced, I feel like I've been able to accomplish so much more than when I was doing absolutely everything. And I feel like I have more time. That's, that's a great way to balance all this time. You know, right. I, there's certain things I can do, certain things I'm good at, certain things I'm not that I should just pay other people to do because they're all trying to make it in their respective niches of the industry as well. Right. I was going to kind of bring that up too. It's, you know, I was going to ask how you, you know, decide what you want to outsource, but it sounds like you've really kind of honed in on what are, what are your strengths? What do you really like to do? And then everything else, yes, it's, it is important, but you've kind of found other people who really are, are specialists at that. And you mentioned having yeah. like relationships and everything. So I think that's a, a very smart way to go about it rather than just saying, Hey, I just need help with something, you know, somebody help me. Yeah. And you really do have to figure out because I think indie artists, we all expect that we're supposed to do these certain things. And me, at least, I'm not the average indie artist. Like I do my own business taxes because I'm an attorney, right? Like those, that's something that normally an indie artist, I feel like would outsource, but I do all that in the business management. And then, you know, the more creative stuff that an indie artist is expected to do, like create merch. I'm like, oh, no, I can't do that. My brain doesn't work that way. So I think it's taken time to figure out exactly what it is I can do and not listen to what other people think I should be doing as an indie artist. Right. Yeah. And, and a lot of what I talk about too on the podcast and, and on the broken glass blog is really, um, you know, thinking of your career as a business. And I think, you know, since you do work, you know, full time in the industry, you really, you have that experience and that, you know, we, we talked earlier about shifting left brain, right brain, um, and I think one of the keys to being successful as an artist too, is, is really having that, and I call it music preneur mindset, you know, the, the, having that yep. entrepreneurial mindset. Um, and I, I think a lot of musicians who aren't really involved in business and, and, and in law and those types of careers, they tend to kind of get lost as soon as you start talking about the business side of it. Um, yep. what, what ways do you really, you know, get into that entrepreneurial mindset, um, on your artist side. So it's funny you bring up the, the classic glazed eye look that I get <laughs> from my friends when I start talking about like publishing royalties, for example. Um, that's actually something I'm really passionate about as an attorney who's also an artist is breaking down the non-transparent aspects of the industry, like specifically in the publishing industry, 
nobody understands how you're supposed to self-collect all these royalties, what they relate to, why some are statutory rates, some are not statutory rates. And so for me, I get a lot of joy out of explaining to my friends and, you know, having them understand it in a way that gives them control over, you know, their career and their money. Because I think a lot of artists, they can assert creative control, but they can't assert business control. So for me, just helping my other friends and talking it through it with them solidifies my knowledge. And then I can, of course, apply that knowledge to my own artist career. And then it also gives me inspired and feeling good about being a business person in the industry. I think if I was just work for me personally, if I was just working in the industry full time and pursuing my artist career, but not really discussing both of those things with other people, there would be a missing link. But when I just, when I can relate both of those things to helping other people, it just all comes full circle. Then I feel like I'm in such a unique position as a music publishing attorney. That's also literally self-releasing music right now. Most attorneys can't tell you, you know, the most up-to-date online distributor to use for X, Y, Z reasons. And I can, and I think that using that knowledge and helping other people has propelled me in believing in myself, feeling good about doing both of these things and feeling good about using all that knowledge to help myself and my own business as an artist. Right. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, it, it is a lot too. You know, you mentioned, you know, collecting royalties and everything. It's just, I think there's so many bits and pieces of this industry that, Mm -hmm. you know, being able to understand it, you know, and and you mentioned too, I know there's a lot of lawyers who just, you know, they understand the law part of it, but sometimes the creative part goes by the wayside because they're, they're just not involved in it. Um, And I think that's, that's important to have all that knowledge. And, um, and, and two, you know, even if you're, what I, I've really seen too is I've been trying to press upon a lot of my my artist friends is just understand the the basics of it. Understand how certain things work, and you may not need to be a specialist in it because somebody else will be, right? Yeah. But as long as you can understand the 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 overview of it, right? And this is how it it's supposed to work, and then find that you know professional, especially when it, especially when it comes to what you do you know, your full-time job, right? Um, right. You know, understanding the copyrights and the royalties and where to collect from and, and just all of that. It's, um, you know, get, get the basics down and then, you know, somebody else will, will have that. Especially now, now that we have the ability to stay independent for so long and do it all ourselves, mm-hmm. why would you want someone else to step in and collect your royalties for you when you're finally in a unique position to own your master? Right. You know? There's an entire other copyright out there that traditionally artists never were able to own and administer and monetize. So why would you not want to do that now? And you have to have a baseline understanding in order to even know that there are two different masters that you can divvy up and use as compensation to people and get creative in terms of how you're compensating your producer and artist, et cetera, and making sure you're registered with sound exchange, all the collection societies. It's so important now because that's one of one of the of the advantages that we have as being artists now. There's so many disadvantages, right? Like mm-hmm. <laughs> touring for the next however many months right, yeah. is probably non-existent given the current health issues going on, and obviously streaming has really decreased the amount of revenues we bring in from our actual music. Physical sales are down. This is something we have control of, so really, it's important to have a base knowledge now. Right. And now, now, you know, you kind of mentioned with, with, you know, we don't know what the foreseeable future is for touring, just being creative about how you, you can use those, you know, how you can, can go about monetizing, you know, and, and, and taking advantage of, of having, you know, that in your control. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's something that is important to think of now. And a lot of artists don't think long-term now, but I do because, the company that I work for, we're actually in this very niche area of music publishing and that we are an acquisition fund. We actually are a private equity fund and we use those funds to invest in catalogs of copyright for iconic and legendary catalogs. So the way you basically quote unquote retire as a songwriter is you can sell all of the rights in your catalog 
And it's sort of like an annuity. It's like a long-term annuity because these high-performing catalogs, they're going to be valuable for years to come. All of us know music from the 60s, 70s, 80s, whether we know it or not. And when you think about that in the beginning of your career and retaining rights and making sure you're registered with everything and making sure you're collecting all your royalties, you are ensuring really a you know long-term plan in terms of how you're going to make money when you're older so you don't have to be on tour when you're 70 years old, which is something right. I never want to do as an artist <laughs> personally. <laughs> that's your, that's your I mean, 401k as an artist. It, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And so many of my clients are like, why do I care about making sure I can assign this agreement? It's, I, I just want this record label. It's finally a record label that is interested in me. It's just an assignment. I'm not going to try to assign this to anyone. I'm like, what about in 30 years? Right. You may, you're going to want to assign this agreement. <laughs> so but you're right, though, that artists generally, they don't want to think about that, which I get. Well, I don't get personally, but I right. get why other yeah. people don't want to think about it. So for me, and I'm I, thinking about all those little things. Yeah. And I think it's just, it's just um, you know, there's just so much that it's just, they, they focus on the things they do know. And yeah. um, it's just you know, really, really finding people who can, you know, help, help educate you on, on more of the things you don't, you don't understand. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, I actually, I have a friend, um, she's a, a music therapist, but I was working with her last night. Oh, cool. she, she works in a school, but she's like, you know, I really want to, you know, I've been thinking about starting my own, you know, online business and offering resources for, for, you know, other music therapists. And I was like, okay, you know, cause she didn't have the, the business school education. Right. So I'm like, okay, well, we'll sit down and we'll go through, you know, the different things that you need to think about to build this online business. Right. And, you know, she's, she's not an artist, you know, so to speak, but she, you know, it, it she wants to start this business, but she doesn't really have that, you know, that background. So, you know, it's just, it's important because I had to say, okay, well, you know, this is what you, you have to think about copyrights. You have to think about licensing. You have to think about, you yep. know, cause she does a lot of adap adaptation for the classroom. Well, if you're going to be offering that online, you really got to, these are the things you need to think about, you know, and it's a lot of people just think, oh, I can, you know, record a song and, and throw it out there. And, you know, there's a little more to it, especially if you want to monetize it and, you know, protect yourself. Yeah, that's great. I think that's a perfect example of using the changing technology to create a sustainable business. Like, yeah, why not have an online music therapy business that I feel like that would create more access to music therapy for people that otherwise don't have health insurance or et cetera. Don't even have access. Don't live in a place where there are music therapists. Right. And it's great that she has you as a resource. I feel like probably a lot of musicians don't know anyone. Right. That, right. that can help them sit down and make a business plan for me. I don't even have, you know, I don't have like a website or anything to help my friends. It's just kind of word of mouth. And they hear like, oh, Lexi is a music attorney. And so they'll come to me, I'll answer questions. Um, and they're like, I've never actually met anyone who's a music attorney, who's an active artist in this way. This is so helpful. I wish I had more access. And so I tell them, you know, join these things. And I, especially for women, I'm, I'm in a lot of organizations for women in music in New York. And I think it's important to go out and do those things now that we all have iPhones glued to our hands all the time. I feel like people don't want to go to physical networking events anymore. It seems kind of like outdated and awkward. And it is awkward, but you have to push through that and right. go. And I think the most genuine connections I've made with people has been through these networking events. When you actually go and talk to people and meet people, you really get a sense of who they are, what they do, and you never know when that's going to be helpful in the future for a personal relationship, for a business relationship. I just feel like it's, I would really encourage all indie musicians to get out there more, not just performing, get out there, but get out there and network with people because you never know when you'll meet someone who can help you sit down and make a business plan for you um, or anything else. You right. can just come to your shows. Yeah. And they're actually, um, there are a lot of groups kind of starting out for networking. Um, you know, yeah. it, it kind of, I think it kind of went in a wave. It was like, Oh, you know, in person. And then we had all the technology. So it's like, Oh, now you can just network online. But I've actually joined a group um, here in Los Angeles and I, it's actually um, out of New York as well. Um, it's, it's a, it's called brunch work and they, oh. um, they bring in a lot. It's a lot of entertainment and tech. 
So they'll bring in, you, you go, you have brunch, it's a group of people, they have a guest speaker or two or three, and um, it's just an opportunity to kind of hear from, you know, industry professionals, but also talk to people and get to know other people. Um, you know, I've met people in the industry from it, and, you know, I, I've, you know, made friends, and it's, it's been, it's a great opportunity to get out there, and I know there's other groups, too, um, that are really starting to do that and offering, um, you know, opportunity to go to brunch, dinner, um, yeah. And just, just connect like-minded people. And, you know, it's, it's not great. I'm going to join that. I I haven't heard of that before. I'm in, um, women in music. She said so. And then babes in music is a New York specific happy hour, which is all young women in the industry. Um, which is really cool because there aren't previously, there weren't really any New York specific networking groups that were for young women just starting out. Um, so that's been, that's been really helpful. Yeah, and it's, you know, it, 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 it kind of takes away a little bit of the awkwardness of, of that networking because, you know, I remember, you know, in, in college and in grad school, it was like, oh, I don't want to go to networking events. That's just weird. Like, <laughs> are they, are they going to ask, you know, I, I want to talk to them, but is that, you know, weird and, you know, having, you know, a little bit of, you know, I'm an introvert. So the last thing I want to do is go walk up to someone <laughs> and say, hey. <laughs> Um, but it, it takes a little bit of pressure off because you're all there. You're kind of sitting around a table. You're having breakfast or lunch or dinner and, and just, you know, and chatting and getting to know one another rather than thinking of it as this high pressure. Oh, I need to make this many connections and, you know, ask them this and that. It, it turns it to more of a casual, um, casual conversation and, and just, you know, opportunities to connect with people. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I did have a friend, I, you know, I, I invited her to, to go with me to one of one of the the, the brunch events and um, it ended up I ended up being really sick so she went on her own and she's like oh I'm really nervous and I said it's fine it's fine you'll be fine and, and she texted me after she's like I forgot how cool music industry people could be <laughs> and how chill uh, and I was awesome. like yes you know so it's you know I, networking is is very important in this industry and to get to know people and you know how can you help them and, and really you know making those connections, but it's not as scary as a lot of people think or make it out to be. No. And once it's like anything else, once you do it, you become better at it, more comfortable with being uncomfortable, especially musicians. They had to push themselves. I'm, no matter what anyone tells you, they were definitely nervous their first few shows at least. Mm-hmm. And they had to push through that and get better at that. It's, it's kind of the same idea with networking. Right. Yeah. Once you, you know, the first time, you know, what I, the way I did it is I was, you know, like I said, introvert, I don't want to go up to people. <laughs> you know, I, I went in, I kind of sat and I kind of watched, how is this going to go? Um, but a lot of people too, they'll walk up to me and just say, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm so-and-so, this is what I do. What do you do? And, you know, it, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of cool. Just people kind of recognize now that other people may not be comfortable and they do what they can to, yeah. to bring them in and, and, and get them. It's going, refreshing so. too, because I mean, in New York, especially no, no one talks to strangers, right? Like actually right. a couple of days on the, ago <laughs> on the train, I was reading a book and this woman, young woman, my age compliments my coat. And I was getting ready to just be like, thanks and go back to my book. And then she struck up a whole conversation with me. And I kid you not, in the back of my mind, I'm like, mm, what is, what does she want from me? Like, what, where is this leading? <laughs> what do you want from me? And that's such a New Yorker thing. I'm such an East coaster. Yeah. She don't want anything. She was just dragging up a conversation. Why is that so odd? I literally walked home like contemplating everything in the wake <laughs> of that interaction. Just like, wow, how yeah. am I so programmed? I asked her where she was from. She said the Midwest. And I'm like, that makes sense yeah. because you are a lot friendlier than anyone I have ever met before <laughs> in my life. Um, but then of course, when you go to networking, that is the norm. And so I appreciate that of networking and I hope that I can kind of take that out of networking and apply it more in my day-to-day interactions, because I think we could all use a little more friendly interaction with strangers. Yeah, definitely. I I grew up in New Jersey, so I, um, yeah, me too. I completely, I completely get it. I, I moved out to LA about five years ago. Um, and that was, you know, like, oh, okay. Like I don't put my head down. I mean, and here kind of, I think it's, it's such a melting pot of people that, you know, some people do still put their heads, heads down and just keep going. Like, you know, like we do in New York and whatnot, but, um, 
you know, going, going to visiting other places, going to Chicago, going to Europe, it's, you know, kind of breaks you out of that, that, um, you know, East Coast, just don't talk to anybody. Just keep going about your business. If you're talking to me, you want something from me. (laughs) Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's just, you just kind of got to kind of break yourself out of that. And just, um, especially when it comes to networking and just be open and and sharing, you know, well, how can, a lot of things I think about too, is how can I help that person, right? I don't, yep. I don't try to make it about me and, you know, well, can, can you give me this job? It's, it's really about how can I help you? And, and, you know, maybe that person will eventually someday, you know, be able to reciprocate. Absolutely. And that's like I was saying before, where I get a lot of motivation for my own success from helping other people. And, you know, that, that's been a theme. I've read a lot of self-help books, you know, artist way, et cetera. And they talk a lot about your well, right? Like your creative well and, you have to fill it, but you also have to get rid of some of the stuff in the well, right? Like you have to constantly recycle new ideas, old ideas, new energy, old energy. So when you are helping other people and giving your creative energy or your intellectual energy out to other people, you're making room for more ideas to come in, you know, it's this constant flux of in and out. And so I truly think you can't be successful as a musician, as an artist, as an entrepreneur, without helping other people, because not only do you learn by doing, by helping them, you're learning and you're solidifying your own knowledge, but you're also making room for new ideas, whether they come from that person or from some other experience. It's just this constant cycle. And that's something that I've had to remind myself, especially on busy days, which is like me, 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 me. I'll go hang out with a friend, chat about something going on in her life. Just give her a little, you know, like friend to friend, opinions and and you know offer some guidance and I'll leave feeling so much calmer than I was for the, that entire day while I was running around focusing on myself you know so much better about myself and ready to take on the next day and those little changes that they, they're important they make a big difference yeah that's a really great way to think about it um you know just just to and it, I think it helps your mindset too like you're kind of not focused on yourself and you're focused on something else for a little bit and um, a, a lot of what I, I really try to think is, um, I listen to actually a lot of life coach podcasts and, yeah. um, they, they really talk about, you know, you, you just think about something as a circumstance and then your, your thoughts create your feelings, which, you know, kind of go down the line to create your, your, your mm-hmm. actions and your reactions and all that. And that's, you know, kind of similar. It's just, you know, it gets you out of your head and you, you focus on something else for a little bit and then you can, you know, um, you kind of clears, clears your mind a little bit, like you, you mentioned, and it takes, takes from that well. Um, but that, that's just such a great way to think of it. Um, so kind of shifting, we, we talked a little bit about um, being a woman, especially in, in law and in, as an artist. Um, the, the, the Broken Glass podcast really, you know, I, I always ask this, this question, and we really focus on highlighting women and, and talking about those kind of issues, you know, we, we all kind of come across some kind of resistance, you know, entering the industry as a woman. Um, did you, did you come across that any resistance um, as an artist, as a, you know, as a female attorney in the music industry? And if you did, how did you overcome that? Yeah, so it's a daily thing. Definitely. Um, people always ask, oh, you're a young woman as an in the music industry as an artist, isn't that hard? And the answer is yes, but being a young female music attorney is so much more difficult. I am every single day dealing with feeling belittled and dealing with a lot of condescension and assumptions that I'm a secretary or that I am not a good attorney or you know, just not being taken seriously as a young woman. I, in this this niche that I am in, which is really the music publishing, copyright acquisition niche, I am definitely the youngest person. I, I go to all of the big society meetings. I'm in the Copyright Society of the United States, um, um, all the music publisher associations, et cetera. So I really do network with all of these attorneys. And it's a pretty small group. Um, But not only am I the youngest, but of course, I'm a young female. 
that dresses like an artist. I don't, I don't dress the part. I, I look like myself. I act like myself. I'm really true to myself and I'm proud of myself for doing that. But I think that obviously leads to some resistance, especially in a community of attorneys, which generally are older white men. And right. every day I'm feeling, I feel a little bit cut down, not in my own company, but it's dealing with outside attorneys or going to outside meetings. And right. people will mistake me for the tech person or, you know, literally meeting another attorney for the first time about a year ago, they said, wow, who would have thought you'd be so beautiful? Say, wow, that's extremely irrelevant and <laughs> right. inappropriate. Nice has nothing to, to do with what we're doing. <laughs> nothing. Nothing. Can we get back to paragraph nine? Thank you. Right. And I do that. I, I don't, I actually say those kinds of things. I, if they're going to cut me off at the knees, I'm going to cut them off at the knees. I sometimes get myself into eh, dangerous positions, uh, both in the office, outside. I'm the kind of person where if I'm on a run and people are yelling obscenities, hooting, hollering, catcalling at me, I stop and I scream, stop harassing women back at them, or I say something provoking, which, you know, I have friends who grew up with, with police officers as dads that are like, you don't do that. <laughs> don't do that, Lexi. <laughs> but there's a balance, right? Like, if, mm -hmm. of course, if it was dark and I was the only person on the street, maybe I wouldn't do it. But I try to do that in my personal life. I do it in a more professional way in my professional life. But I, I make myself uncomfortable. I do those things because I think it's really important to do that. There are kind of two different types of women in the music industry that I've seen. There are the kinds that are, that are, you know, that are successful. I think as young women, we definitely have more flexibility because mentalities have changed recently, but looking, you know, to people older than me that are more experienced, they're generally in two categories. They're the ones that really just try to fit in. And that's the way that they have become successful was by joining the boys club for lack of better words. And I completely understand that as a woman, I'm just happy that they're successful. But me personally, my strategy is not that. My strategy is to be successful from within by breaking it, right? by breaking those patterns. And it's tough. There's a lot of resistance to that, as you can understand. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I do have to bite my tongue. And then I leave feeling deflated, beating myself up for not saying something about a, a certain comment or a certain look or gesture or something during a meeting. And, you know, can't. You can't do it all, all the time. But for me, I feel gratified by saying something when something inappropriate happens, because I'm not going to lie in the music industry. It's still happening. It's still happening all the time. Unlike the film TV industry, which there are still tons of issues, but with me too, I feel like there has been a light that has been shown on it a bit more recently. The music industry seems to skate by all the time. Like, yeah, we never get I've, quite as much, you know, we never get quite as exposed because people don't, I don't think it, it's press the same way that film and T stuff, film, film TV stuff is, you know, right. for example, with the Grammys, the amount of craziness going on with the, the head of the recording Academy being fired and then filing retaliation and all of that coming in just days before the Grammys and it barely made headlines. Right. It's, it's, you know, I, it's, I feel like it's 2020. Why can't, you know, let's just, you know, treat everybody equally, you know, yeah, like expose it all, you know, it's, and I think too, like you'd mentioned, you know, we, we, the industry seems to, to skate by. And I think it's, it's just that perception that's been, you know, for decades where it's, you know, this is how musicians are male musicians are going to act. And, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's just that, that perception that we really need to just let go of and, yeah. and shift. And, you know, mm -hmm. I don't, I don't know about you, but I, I have seen, you know, especially with a lot of these groups around women starting up, you know, to support each other and, um, you, you know, be, become a, a collective voice for, for, for women in the industry. Um, I work in the music products industry and we have, um, you know, a group within our, our, um, our, our national, um, it's the national association of music merchants. You know, we have a, a women's group there and, um, I've seen a lot of communities popping up where women are supporting women and, and, 
That's awesome. I think yeah. just to have that support from each other too, um, you know, and we can be a, a big collective voice, you know, against all of that too. Um, I don't, I don't know if you've, you've really seen any of that, but it's, you know, it's just, it's just crazy that in 2020, we're still fighting this fight. Absolutely. It's still, it's still crazy. The, the things that not even just, not even just, you know, people in the industry, but also artists get away with, you kind of hit on that before that there's an expectation of how male artists are supposed to behave. And I never really think about the artist side of things. And then I went and saw Madame Gandhi at elsewhere in Brooklyn a few nights ago. And she was talking about, do you ever go out to a club and you're dancing with your friends and then you pause and you actually listen to the lyrics of the song you're dancing to and you realize it's entirely misogynist and it's 2020 yep. and like, what, <laughs> what are we doing here? And I'm like, oh my God, yeah. Like I'm, I'm fighting my own fight within the industry and that's what I'm focused on. And it's so easy to forget that there's still this, ex the actual music, the actual art itself mm -hmm. is so often focused on, on subjugation of women. It's, it's crazy to think about. So it's important for artists. I don't want artists to think like, I don't work in the music industry. I can't really help in terms of breaking this, right. you know, this cycle. You totally can. Just by Madame Gandhi giving five minutes in between a song talking about that, yeah. everybody in the room left being like, yeah, wow, mm -hmm. never thought of that. I'm going to pay attention to that. I'm going to ask the DJ to change the song. I'm going to go and write a counter song. Right. I'm going to write a song that doesn't put anyone down. It just lifts people up. Yeah, I think it's, you know, we can touch on it in really any, you know, from the artist to, you know, the, the, the people on tour, you know, sound, just everybody. Um, I remember it was a couple months ago, um, uh, Andy Grammer posted, um, it was like kind of, kind of an, I guess, an open letter kind of. And when he went on tour, he asked the women on his tour, how can I help you? What can I do to wow. make you comfortable? What, you know, um, th there's a lot more to it, but you know, he really said, what can I do to, to help make you comfortable? And they were like, nobody's ever asked me this before. Yeah. And it's, you know, it, it even went down to just making sure like, you know, on the buses that the garbage cans had lids on them. Yeah. That's just, amazing. Just little yeah. things like that, but just, just ask, you know, ask those questions. Just asking. You know, it just, takes little effort. Yeah. So it, it was, it was pretty cool that, you know, he did something like that. And, you know, um, you know, I know he, he, he's got a lot of women in his life, you know, he's got one daughter and he's got another on the way and it's just, you know, just, he's thinking, you know, about them growing up and what they're going to have to face. And it was, it was pretty cool to hear that, that somebody really took the time to think about that. Yeah. I really appreciate that. I feel like so often as a female that, you know, as a feminist and trying to break patterns in an industry, I kind of forget about the men and how they can help in this cause. I think a lot of women, especially now, are struggling with that as to, okay, well, how do I continue to operate in this framework and not hate every man around me right. <laughs> and appreciate them and appreciate the men who don't operate in that framework and who mm -hmm. are appreciative and supportive and that's a perfect, that's a really good example. I'm glad you brought that up because it is so easy to just band together with the women, exclude all of the men completely. And then we're really underutilizing a resource, which is all of the men who are great and supportive and feminists yeah. and, you know, not continuing this, this cycle of subjugation. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And I've been, I've been very lucky in, in my career um, that I have had a lot of um, male supporters, a lot of people at my, my company, um, you know, even I didn't even know about this, this group of women, you know, in our industry. And they were like, Hey, like there's this group, you need to join it you need to apply for the scholarship, you know, really supporting me in my career. Um, oh, wow. and, and that was, that was kind of cool. Like, um, to just have somebody, you know, in my corner as, you know, a male in my corner, um, and to have male colleagues who just, you know, are very supportive of that. And I you know it's, you know, I don't think it's, it's reflective of the entire industry, but you know, just there are men out there who want to support us, you know? So like you said, just, you know, we do band together as women, but there are men who really want to help us out. And I, you know, 
I think we need to kind of lean on them a little bit and have them help us break that pattern. Yep. For sure. All right. Well, we're kind of, we're getting to the end here. So a couple questions to kind of, to wrap up. Um, do you have, you know, what are you kind of looking forward to in the future? Do you have anything coming up that you'd like to share and, and, and talk about? Yeah, so I'm working on my next, I'm working on my next song, which will be the last song before I release an EP. So looking to release the EP in the fall, the song will be out probably in June, which I'm really excited about. Uh, touring's up in the air right now. Yeah. Um, I, I have a date tentative. I have two dates booked in April. Uh, we'll see what goes on there. And I just uh, confirmed a slot for the launch conference and festival, which is an East Coast music conference for indie musicians, but then also a festival. That's in early May. So we'll see what happens there as well. Uh, but you can find everything on my website, LexiTodd.com, uh, social media at LexiTodmusic. Uh, we'll post updates, but the music will be coming out no matter what. Coronavirus can't stop the music. <laughs> and I think, you know, in, in, in these kinds of situations, we need music and we need to have that, you know, was it, you know, music heals music. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, but I will definitely, when I see those come out, we'll post them on social. So um, I'm excited for you. That's awesome. Um, and I hope that you can do the shows and tour. I hope things get back yeah. to normal pretty quick. Well, um, thanks so much for having me. It's yeah. been an honor. I love to connect with other like-minded women, especially women that are in the music industry. And this was really meaningful conversation. So thanks for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for listening to the Broken Glass Podcast. If you like the show and want to know more, visit www.brokenglassmediallc.com subscribe to the podcast, and don't forget to leave a review. Join me each week to hear new stories, learn all about the tools and resources available to you, and get tips for building a career in music. If you're interested in becoming part of a community of supportive women in music, join our secret community on Facebook at the Broken Glass Collective.